1: Welcome back to the show. And today, my guest is Holly Moore. Holly is a female entrepreneur in the events industry and personal development addict since recovering from a five year battle with severe OCD. Holly started her business from scratch, no investment or borrowing, and has worked with global brands delivering events over the last 11 years. Having rewired her brain after pioneering treatment for OCD in 2011, Holly went on her own journey with personal development to ensure she was making the most of every aspect of her life. So I am super excited to welcome Holly Moore to the show. Welcome, Holly. Hello, how are you? I'm great. I'm so pleased you're here because you really do have such an inspiring story and it's one that I don't think is is told very often I certainly haven't heard it many times and it really is a pain to power journey you're very inspiring and I've just got to know you pretty recently but I do think you're fab so I'm really I really know that your content is going to resonate with my audience so why don't we start with you explaining a little bit about who you are and, and how you know what you've been through your story.
2: Yeah. Um, so yes, I'm Holly Moore. I live in Cheshire, and um, on a business perspective, I've had um, a corporate events agency for eleven years, and um, recently branching into more of Sarah's space around kind of the personal development and um, space um, as kind of a side, uh, well, side hustle. It's a bit more than that, but as a as a side project to make events, which is my company. But I guess what we're going to talk today is um, kind of. This story of you know I know you, you focus a lot on heartbreak and things like that there's a lot of heartbreak doesn't just come from relationships and my business was born out of recovery um, of OCD um which I know we're going to talk about but it was my catalyst like a divorce like a breakup can be a catalyst to something to the new um my recovery from from a mental health illness was my kind of breakthrough into setting up my business really
1: yeah, and it's such a an interesting journey that you've been on. So tell us, I mean, I've heard of OCD, obviously, but can you tell us, I mean, first of all, tell us what that stands for for people that don't know. Yeah. And then also, yeah. you know, just describe what that is, because I think it can be quite difficult to diagnose yourself, maybe. I don't know. I mean, yeah. uh,
2: it's, it's yeah. interesting for and thank you for giving me the platform because I'm so passionate about sharing what it really is so yeah for people that don't know OCD is obsessive compulsive disorder which is very much associated with cleaning and people think that if you're a clean freak I was actually getting my nails done on Saturday and a girl next to me and nearly shouted at her said oh can you make sure that my nails are like this particular purple because I've got OCD and I was like but I don't blame anybody that is the um you know, the the general, I guess, um, population's assumption of what OCD is, that you want things perfect, that you want things clean, you want things in order, which it is, but it's a lot It's a lot more in-depth than that. So let me explain. So basically, with somebody that's got OCD, they will have obsessive thoughts. Um, and those obsessive thoughts will typically take the form around harm, harm to themselves and, and others, violence, sexual, religion, typically thoughts that are in so far opposition to the person's normal personality that they're absolutely and utterly terrifying. So an example might be, if we give like an extreme example um, that her mum, a mum might think that she wants to stab her children kill her children and she will have this thought and if you've got OCD, your brain just clicks onto it, grips it and it goes round and round and round and it sprouts and it sprigs and it twigs off here and it is just all consuming. But if you can imagine that actually that's in complete opposition to to that mum who loves her child, cares for her child, it's like her worst, 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 worst fear manifesting inside of her head. And I mean that is like one strain. OCD is so weird, and it is so extreme. Thoughts across so many platforms. You know, it might be somebody that's really religious thinking that they are um, in love with their priest or something like that. So there's so there's so tiny. There's so there's so many of these thoughts that are so odd and so weird, and weird weird to the person who even. Suffering them that they don't talk about them because they think that they're evil or weird or odd or whatever. And so, what then happens is the person with the OCD will develop behaviors to cancel out the thoughts. So, for example, somebody that's having thoughts about XYZ might think if I clean my house with Detol five times a day, that means that I won't kill my child or my mum and dad aren't going to be in a motor car accident today or my daughter is going to come home from school safely. So imagine the worst thought you could have and then then you convince yourself that by performing these behaviors this worst thing isn't going to happen. So the person that switches the light five times, checks under their bed 20 times. It's like it's called a compulsion. And you basically um, be- believe that if you don't perform this compulsion this horrendous thought is going to happen and become true there's also another form of OCD called t- casually called pure O which which is actually what I had where you don't do any of the rituals so the rituals being the cleaning the checking the whatever and um, the 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 compulsion stay in your head I don't know which is worse. so for example with me um, and I don't talk about my thoughts because my way of maintaining my wellness is not to go back into them. But I can happily listen to anybody else's story. But mine took the form of remuneration. So what that means is you literally run scenarios. You go back to the past to try and prove or disprove these thoughts. Mine was I used to write everything down, like confess, you know, if this happened then. Well, that must mean this. And the other thing that I did was, um, which when you look back feels so horrendous is you'll look for reassurance. So you, you, my thing was I used to tell everyone my thoughts to look for reassurance that they weren't true. But if you can imagine your thoughts sound so weird that that actually, when you get well, you're a bit like, oh, you know. So um, it's a really horrendous disease. And because it typically, I call it disease, you know, an illness, the reason it's so awful is it generally... Um, the people that have it are generally really quite kind and nice people. And if I can um, if I can explain to you that your brain is so disordered that you genuinely believe these thoughts, to wake up every day thinking that is absolutely terrifying. And and I'll come on to the treatment in a minute, but the thought of not then not being able to perform or do the things that you do to cancel out the thoughts, to disprove them is. Equally terrifying as well. And it's 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 just a horrible, horrible illness.
1: So I mean, gosh, I mean, the way you explain it there's so many different sides to it. You know, I mean, I think we've all seen Monaco and Friends, and you know, we think, oh, well, that's what that might be, but this is just so much more than that, and so much deeper, and really it's traumatizing. Just, yeah,
2: it's so debilitating. I actually read an article. And this will probably sum it up actually Um, I read an article yesterday about um a young guy that was gay and he was coming to terms with his sexuality and he got triggered so you can often get triggered by the news or documentaries or things like that and it was something on trans being transgender and he got triggered by that and then convinced himself that he wasn't gay that he was trans And obviously, this is what I was saying about the doctor's thing, going to the doctor, the doctor's just exploring the fact that potentially he's trans. And then actually, when he got the right help, that was actually a form of OCD. He was gay, but he wasn't trans. And so it's very triggered. I, I don't know if it's got worse with social media and things like that, but um it it can be triggered I know somebody that was triggered by jury service like it can just be if it's if it's if it's dormant latent which it tends to be it will be either a really stressful situation or um say that person is uh it's dormant in them let's say it can it will be then triggered in a stressful situation
1: wow that's interesting so are you born with this then that could be triggered some people have it and some people don't
2: yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a medical expert, but I think that I've heard, and rightly or wrongly, that it, it, you know, you can have a, you can have a little form of it, and then it can be triggered by a life-changing occurrence. So it can be triggered by like recreational drug use, too much alcohol. So what I would say with me is, I look back on being a child, and can, and these, these, these little memories that I, that will come to me about that was it, just re, like just rearing its head um like silly things at school I mean I went to convent school and I was always confessing stuff so if I'd done something like I wasn't allowed to have chips at school one day for dinner or whatever if I did I'd I'd be like I'd have to go and confess that I'd done it and like that then obviously looking to the future was obviously why my OCD took the form of the confessions you know and all of that um but when I look back there's just tiny little traits of it that I must have had that I didn't realize. And actually when I've interviewed people one of my podcast episodes with a recovered patient, he says as well, he believes he always had a really like low level of it. And then it obviously just got triggered.
1: Yeah. Wow. So there were some sort of warning signs that maybe someone could have picked up on, but I suppose they're so small, right? You wouldn't really Uh, be able to join the dots. I think I would,
2: be able to maybe spot it in a young an adolescent or a child but because I know I don't think that we could ever say that a parent that's no knowledge of it would be able to spot it you know um I, you know I think it would be hard to yeah essentially
1: yeah. yeah so are there different scales of this I mean some of the things some of the examples you've given there are quite extreme which obviously taking over your entire life so I mean different scales some of them are sort of manageable with work and other scenarios and family and relationships? Or how does it work?
2: I think that it is, I, I guess I can only talk from my experience and the people that I've spoken to. And my um, my journey with it was five years and it would come horrendous. And then I'd have some kind of therapy and manage to keep it at the door. Um, and I mean, keep it at the door. It would never go, you know, and then it would come back and I would say I always call it like you know like a functioning alcoholic I'd call it a function OCD because it never affected work um because for somebody with OCD it's um for me anyway work was like set if my head was busy I could keep it at the door mm-hmm. if, uh, you know Facebook was just out of the time Facebook was a mega distraction because I'd just go like on for just you know, so yeah, keep it at the door is what I would say, and I think when you it, it it's coupled with anxiety as well. So I would explain that when I was okay, as weird how I explain it, but it's almost like do you remember those screens we used to have in COVID? Those like clear screens. It's like yeah. that to the normal per like to the normal person, you're just normal. You're going to work. You're doing your job you're behind the screen and when I started talking about it which is only about five years ago and I've been recovered I've been recovered 11 years now or a bit longer um I, I was in an open plan office at the time um when I worked for AstraZeneca and those girls never knew and then when they heard it they were like I cannot believe that you were coming into work every day like because I just used to you know they wouldn't know that half an hour before I would I would have literally dragged myself in the shower, got to work. I would come to work, work, go home, have a glass of wine to try and numb the thoughts again.
1: Wow. I mean, so many different ways of coping with that. I guess everyone's different. So once you sort of, well, first of all, how did you identify that? Did you get help with that straight away? Were you able to discover what it was?
2: Yeah, it was weird, really, because um, the thoughts just came one day like that, and I was like this is really weird and I guess because of my personality where I'm very honest and confessed I'd literally phoned the GP and I was like I'm having these thoughts I don't know what to do like blah blah blah, and he was like you're having intrusive th- thoughts so I'd never heard of intrusive thoughts before so this must have been 2006 something like that I think so I, and I was just super lucky. This particular male GP—I wish I could remember his surname because I'd love to thank him—but he recognised it straight away. So, but I could have gone to another GP who wouldn't have recognised it. And you know, how do we expect GPs to understand what's true and what's not? You know, because it's it's really hard, right? So, um, I had private healthcare with Astrazeneca, so I could was then fast tracked to the Priory. Which wow. was the best thing that ever happened. So I had private healthcare. So I think within three weeks I was in. So they put me on antidepressants straight away. Um, they don't put you on antidepressants for depression actually with OCD. It's to slow your brain down a little bit. Um, so I think it was surgery and us or cetalopram, one of the two. I was definitely on one of the two at some point. Um, and then had to wait to go into the priory. Um, but I think one of the Big reasons that I'm talking about it and trying to get the message out there is I'm middle class, I went to a decent GP, I got referred, I had private healthcare because of my job. And I worry about the this the single mum in the flat with four kids that doesn't even have time to go and speak to somebody about these thoughts. Yeah. And and I honestly, I genuinely believe, and I've got no medical, you know, I've got no written evidence like prove this but I genuinely believe that OCD is responsible for some percentage of unexplained suicide because having been through it and having help all the way through but still feeling like my life was not worth living what about the person that doesn't get any help I just and the thoughts are so confusing that if you if they aren't explained to you I can imagine that that could lead to that route.
1: Yeah I mean it does make a lot of sense I think it's especially if you you think that you're going a bit crazy then because you can't make sense of your own thoughts yeah Yeah. it must be a terrifying place to be if you're getting thoughts that aren't congruent with who you are as a person
2: yeah 100 I mean I would I would wake up literally in a cold sweat and it's I've never really I've only lost in grief I've lost my nan and my little dog that you know I've been very very lucky so far um and it, i can only describe it as do you know like when somebody has passed that, that you, you know in that, those early days of grief you wake up don't you and then you remember hmm. like oh no yeah and it's like that like you wake up and then you go oh, here we go again
1: kind of yeah. thing yeah yeah it's like that trauma from a, a breakup or a divorce even you sort of wake yeah, up and, exactly oh, yeah. and then it hits you like a tsunami and you're like oh my gosh but i'm exactly dealing with all of these negative emotions yeah wow yeah. i mean it's a lot more devastating than I had known so thank you for shining a light on that so how did you come to terms with it obviously you had some help there um obviously that was a big game changer for you was there anything else that you did that that other people could maybe do that might help them get some clarity if they're dealing with this right now
2: well to be honest it was a long journey because I I got fast-tracked to the priory within like the first month or whatever and the first step was being I have to get this right the psychiatrist I, if I, I might have the my, more words wrong but basically he's the one or he she he was the one that prescribed my medication so he assessed me and then it was like who do I go and see so this was at the Paris. so then I went to the psychologist Costas is going to kill me if I haven't said that right so my psychologist Costas Papageorgio so he's an OCD specialist so you know he gets his treatment which was one-to-one gave me some initial relief because you begin to understand what's happening to you so I think that's a big part of it but then at the time he was pioneering this treatment and um, that was terrifying to me so the tr- part of the treatment is called exposure therapy so again to use an analogy if you think that your parents are going to die today unless you scrub the sink 25 times so if you're not allowed scrub the sink 25 times that is if you genuinely believe something's gonna happen to your mum and dad it it is terrifying sickness inducing utterly horrendous but to get over ocd you have to not do the compulsions and that's what's called exposure therapy so you will not clean the sink 25 times and live through
1: hi it's sarah davison here the divorce coach I hope you're enjoying this episode of Heartbreak to Happiness. I just wanted to let you know about a free gift I've got for you, which I know will help you if you're struggling with your breakup or divorce right now. I'd like to offer you a free week's membership of my Heartbreak to Happiness online support group sessions with unlimited access to any of the groups during this time. So what are they? Well, these are friendly and confidential online support groups run by my accredited coaches. I've designed them to ensure that you know you're not alone and there is help and support out there to help you cope better. One delegate, Jane, said after her first session, I can't believe how much better I feel in just one hour. Another delegate, Wendy, said, My friends and family are so fed up of hearing me talk about this, and now I finally feel like I've found my tribe. I've designed these sessions so you'll meet other people going through similar situations, and you'll be able to share your story in a safe space. My specialist coaches are all trained personally by me and are there to offer support and help to enable you to dial down those negative emotions and let go of your ex. So I wanted to make a special offer to all my podcast listeners, which is a three weeks access to this unique support. It means that you will have access to as many support sessions as you would like to attend in a week. And we've got lots of days and different times to choose from. This is a great way to start to take your power back and help you feel more empowered. Remember, as I always say, it's not what happens to you that defines you. It's what you do about it that makes you the person you are. So sign up now at wwwsaradavisoncom forward slash support group. That's sarhadavison.com forward slash support group to claim your free gift, And to move from your heartbreak to happiness.
2: So you will not clean the sink 25 times and live through the anxiety that will be induced thinking that for that entire day your mum and dad are gonna die. So um, when I got to that point when he wanted me to do this exposure therapy, I was absolutely terrified and I just couldn't face it. And I basically left the Priory after about a year. Um, and I then went on my own route, which is dangerous. So, you know, occupational therapy at work, hypnotherapist, a lady who is a counsellor. And again, it brings a short term relief, but um, it, it never went away and then it would come back with a vengeance. So you know I'm, I'm talking like I wasn't happy during that time and don't get me wrong like I, I was I you know I could live a life and the, you know um but it, it was always there kind of thing so then it got to like 2000 and I want to say 10 the new year's eve of 2010 actually and I um my partner went to bed and I literally sat and for that rocked in the lounge and sat up all night and um I texted my one friend that knew all about it and was like I don't I don't know what I'm going to do I can't I can't sit with myself I don't know what I'm going to do I don't know what I'm going to do and she came and met me um in McDonald's car park in Macclesfield she'd been out because it was New Year's Eve she got a taxi and just sat with me and yeah. then um my ex at the time said I think of all the time that you've had this the best you were was when you were at the priory but obviously I'd left because I was so terrified so I rang the priory that it was either the New Year's Day or the second because genuinely at that point I was like I I cannot live with this I I'm I didn't I'm not saying I had suicidal thoughts I was literally I I, I cannot live this way I, I mean I just can't so I phoned the priory and I was like will you just admit me I want to come and stay and they were like firstly you're not on our records anymore because you left us three years ago and um, secondly that's not what we would prescribe for OCD treatment like we need to see if Costas will still take you on because you're you you discharge yourself and no like he he was chasing me to be on the treatment and I would ju- I was so terrified so they call I think eventually Costas called me and he said Holly I can't just like we admit you because you I don't know what you've done for the last three years I think I even paid to go on some random course in London there's so many sharks out there I didn't go on it thank god um and but saw me and realized the state I was in and I was like I'll do it I'll do whatever it takes now I'll do it so um he then and enro- enrolled me I don't know if that's the right word onto this um three-month course which was group therapy which sounds so weird but it's a mix of um, CBT, mindfulness, meditation, exposure therapy, I missed anything, I'm not sure. And you would literally, every Tuesday afternoon, go to the Priory in a group with all of the people that have got OCD. And how it works to describe it is, your thoughts are so ridiculous, but you're only triggered by your own thoughts. So I can have my thoughts, and then David over there is having thoughts that he's going to, I don't know, harm his dog, let's say. So, his thoughts are so different to my thoughts that I can listen to him and go, "You're not going to hurt your dog, you love your dog, don't be ridiculous and so eventually, the penny starts to drop that you're thinking all these people's thoughts are ridiculous, they think your thoughts are ridiculous, so actually like it's it's so weird, and then also there's stuff that you're asked to do, and you like one of mine was disengaging with the thoughts. I found that really, really difficult. I was like, "How?" do I sit with a thought like how, like, I don't understand it. I'm not getting it. I'm not getting it. But then other people are starting to get it. And then one day I was like, it happened. I did one meditation and I didn't engage with the thoughts. And then are like, right. Okay. So Costas has come up with this treatment and it, it basically is genius. And then you have to go away and do your exposure therapy, but then you're reporting back in essentially every week. And also, you know, they involve a family member, um, and I absolutely, like, applied myself for three months. I like, gave it everything because the alternative was not, it was unthinkable. And then at the end of the three months, with a little bit of work towards the end, I became OCD free in 2011. Um, and, yeah, and came off medication as well. So, um, yeah, it it's just a horrendous, horrendous illness that I get is so hard for people to understand and even now I would say my mum and dad and my sister get it but not fully because they've never had mental health issues so
1: yeah and I think that's so true isn't it when you've walked in those shoes yourself it's you know you have a different understanding of that than anybody else would you know I think yeah I'm a survivor of abuse I don't think people really understand that unless they've walked in those shoes yeah going through a breakup and divorce I don't think people really get that either until you've been through it so yeah yeah, um, I do you think there's a there is a stigma around OCD in society
2: I don't think it's a stigma I just think it's misunderstood so I think that it's hard it's just it almost needs a new name because OCD is so associated with cleaning and stuff like that and if it was called intrusive thought disorder maybe that would make more sense to people um it's just been labeled so badly somewhere along the line I think
1: yeah I mean I do I do love the the therapy though the social proof element of it makes a lot of sense doesn't it and if you hear it enough times from enough people then you're going to start questioning your own thoughts because you're part of that group and you're giving your own opinion. So I I think that's really powerful. So I love that. So if people listening to this, they're thinking, well, I need a bit of help. Is that what they should be looking for? I believe so. So it's actually quite interesting because when I finished
2: with Costas, um, I... Always, although I OCD free, I see him every three. I didn't see him for about five years, and then I was going through um a divorce, wow. and um, I was like, "Listen, this whatever whatever reason for the divorce, like it's going to be hard. um I need Costas is the one that knows that, and I was worried that a life changing event would trigger it and. You know, am I going to meet somebody new and I'm going to have to explain it to them and all that kind of thing. So I re-engaged with Costas at that point um, because I thought he knows all my history. I don't have to re-explain it. So basically now I just see him every three months because I always joke like I can't break up with him. Um, and uh, and anyway, so basically I was always frustrated that he's the only person that I know of in the UK doing this particular treatment. So he would do it at the Priory Manchester, Walteringham and then London. And I just had this like goal that when I... Poured. So My business is called Make Events. I could set up a foundation called Make It Better and I would be able to pay for people's treatment at the Priory. But like legally, I could never have done it. and That would have never have worked. And I didn't want to, as amazing they are, I didn't want to donate to like OCD Action or mind because I wouldn't know where my money was going my my main thing was like I really want to help individuals that are ready to be helped because also within the group therapy you can tell the people that are not quite ready for it and they're not you know I was desperate so I would do everything to to get better so um yeah I always had this like hype dream that I could do something I didn't know how I was ever going to do it um so then about I don't know. It's about a year ago. I can't remember. Eight months ago, I had my normal check in with Costas, and he said, "Well, oh, just to let you know, Holly, I'm leaving the Priory." And I was like, "What?" Because he's been there like 18 years. So what had happened was he had had another patient like me who'd had who recovered that had had the same experiences as me as like, why isn't this treatment available? Um, and Steve um, Turnock is. I hope he won't mind me saying, but quite a wealthy man. Like he sold his business, retired at 46. And so he is, so what he did was he approached Costas and said, I want to make this widely available because unless you've got private healthcare, you you don't have access to it. So what they've actually done is um, set up a charity called Asto Clinic. Costas has left the Priory, still does his private work, but I think it's two and a half days that he did at the Priory. He now does Asto. And what that actually is, it's a charitable organization. So they raise money to pay for people's treatment. And so you can go to Asto as a private client or you can go as a paid client. It's not available through the NHS. Um, I think they do like a means testing. I think that's what they do. Um, but what they've done is because obviously during lockdown, Costa's had to give the treatment via the private on Zoom. Um, he realized that it does work virtually, which means he can reach more people. Yeah. And so basically, so if anybody did want to look it up, Asto Clinic um, is where Costas is treating from. And where, when he was at the Priory, there was a waiting list and you couldn't get in. Um, and also it's very expensive. Um, rightly so but this treatment is now much more readily available so I definitely encourage people to look at that and if they wanted to look him up because he is a specialist in the country it's Dr Costas
1: Giorgio. Wow brilliant well I'm sure. Oh,
2: so yeah but the exciting thing is so um, we've donated for, um, for, so I've managed to achieve my dream which is this year we've donated enough to pay for five people's treatment so that was like a real and um, like pay it forward moment for me as well.
1: So I found a way oh. to do it yeah. oh congratulations Holly that's lovely and that comes from your passion and your drive and you know, actually turning that pain into your power now and, and helping other people as you are doing with this podcast because I really think it's very insightful and you're shining a light on something that just is as you said very misunderstood um and hence I imagine very misdiagnosed as well so yeah I think that's yeah, definitely. that's really important wow okay well, tell us a little bit about your mantra. Anything is possible, because I know from all this and a divorce and coming through that and finding love again, you know, you've come up with a mantra: anything is possible, which I absolutely love. By the way, um, tell us a bit more about that and the work you're doing with that.
2: Yeah. So when I recovered in 2011, um, it 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 opened up. It, it allowed me to kind of like look back on my life, and as I said to you, I'd kind of noticed gosh, I'd always have this low level of anxiety that stopped me doing a lot of things. So little things like I never wanted to leave home. So I didn't want to, I did leave home as in I moved out at home, but like leave my roots. Like I don't, I didn't leave Macclesfield till I was like 32. Anyway, so um, I. I kind of thought I've literally rewired my brain and genuinely through that treatment and with the medication, I could feel my brain slowing down and rewiring and if you've ever listened to anything Ruby Wax has talked about on mental health she she describes it very very similar so when I recovered I was like if I can change my brain to what it's been like my whole life like anything is possible so I um I quit my job I was like I was such um I'm definitely not in the Great Resignation um, Brigade because I was in my first job nine years, which again was a symptom of anxiety. And then my next job, four years. And another thing that I discovered is I'd always stayed in my comfort zone. So, um, and we all know nothing good ever happens in your comfort zone. So I'd stayed in my comfort zone and I had realized that I'd always gone for jobs that were like under my skill level. So I'd be really good at them rather than going pushing myself and, maybe finding it harder. So when I recovered, I was like, I felt like I'd waste, I literally felt like I'd five years of my life was like ripped away and I needed to make up for it. So I quit my job and I decided that I would freelance. I was in the events industry and just see what was out there. Um, And I decided that there was a bit of a gap in the market, particularly in the North and for a female events leader that actually worked hard and be nice. And I don't mean that horribly to anybody but there was just a bit of a feeling within the community that you know you have to be a bitch or a ball breaker or whatever to run an events business and I was like oh well what if I could be a nice person and like run an events business so that was my first thing into anything is possible so I set it up from my dining room table no borrowing still no borrowing no investment and that's been going strong 10 years now but then in addition to that, I still massively, I mean, this is like how I came across you because when I was getting divorced, I always looked for like the specialist and I found you and I've followed you ever since. And I even thought at one point, oh, because I know you train people to become coaches and I feel like you never go through a divorce without like learning a lot about yourself and, and that you can help other people with. So I was really interested in the personal development space because I hadn't gone to uni because of my anxiety. I'd always read books. I mean, like you know genuinely to start with over literally over heartbreak oh my god this boyfriend's done me I must read this book to try and heal I think I've even read a book called you might know this it's called a breakup because it's broken yeah Uh, yeah Yeah. yeah, which is so true um so I would read everything and I was properly into personal development and goal setting always have been since been a kid and um I would just write all these goals down and say like one of my goals was to meet Kylie Minogue because I was obsessed with her when I was little (laughs) Still, still am slightly. and then in 2000 I think it was like 2016-17 I actually worked with her so she was like the headline act on a birthday party I was doing wow. and I got to know her that's team. some birthday
1: party
2: oh it was I mean by the way they had Ronan Keating and Kylie Minogue so it was wow. it was insane and um, I worked with her team beforehand I was getting her side of stage she signed all my scrapbooks. Um, she was nicer than I could ever imagined and I was like I've manifested that because I wrote it down and that's what's happened so it got me like really thinking and then also with the whole like divorce thing you realize that you know that all these reasons you might not split with somebody or you know you very rarely ruin your life. I heard that term the other day. You very rarely completely ruin your life. Like everything, you get over everything. And I've been through heartbreak in my twenties, actually. I was literally, my my boyfriend that I was with, like early twenties, I was within five years. Like, you know, he literally broke my heart in my twenties. And I was like, because I got over that, I was like, ah, you can get over heartbreak. So I think like that set me in, you know, so- I think I've read a lot around that as well. I read like, is it conscious uncoupling? You know, the yeah, Gwyneth Paltrow, yeah. the one and all that. So I just got super interested in this idea of living living many lives within one life. And that, you know, this whole thing of like, you need to go something. If some, If the pain of staying the same becomes greater than the pain of staying where you are, you have to understand that to make a massive change, whether it's, you know, losing weight whether it's changing jobs whether it's leaving a relationship you are going to go through some pain like that that's not that's just non-questionable you you know to go from here to here that's going to be super hard but if you're willing to put the work in for that part then the 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 result on the other side is far greater than where you were before so I just and I, I guess I don't know I had um girls in their 20s messaging me saying oh I want a personal brand and I want an events business which is great and they would want inspiration on how to do that but then I'd have people in their 40s messaging me like oh I don't know I'm you know you're so inspiring but I've missed the boat and um you know oh I've got the kids and the you know and I was like oh there's so many people like settling yeah um Absolutely. In every aspect, you know, I'm 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 overweight. I'll always be that way. um I'm not techie I'm, I'll always be that way. Like you don't you don't have to. You can change at any time, as you know. Whether it's a relationship or whatever, and I'm just fascinated with. You know, I'm proud of myself because I've got over um a, a mental illness and set up a business and everything that comes with that. You know, a million lessons. Then I've been through. A divorce, and however your divorce happens, even if it's the most amicable and no affairs and everything like that, it's a massive life adjustment. So yeah. I'm really proud of myself for all these different things, and I think I'm the sort of person where I want to share that experience. If I can see other people struggling with what I've overcome, um. So then in lockdown, I am waiting on now. But in lock in lockdown, because the business was an events business and it was basically on its ass. Um I needed more than getting the events company through um, to inspire me to get through. And I was isolating on my own at the time and everything. So I wrote down and it's literally on a flip chart there: anything is possible. And it says presenting own shows, host- hosting and personal development business, inspirational, motivational. And that was like, if I can get through COVID with no loans and no borrowings, I'm going to set up this personal development brand. And we did. And I thought I've written it down. I have to do it. And that's what's happened since like September last year.
1: I love that. And I do think there's a lot of power in writing things down, you know, deciding on something and then and then writing it down. And then, as you said, manifesting it. So, So what is happening for you now, Holly? And what does the future look like?
2: Um, So we launched Anything is Possible as a podcast in September, um, which you can find anywhere. And it was basically, um, there's a lot of events industry podcasts, but I didn't want to do that because I felt like genuinely there's a lot of brilliant people doing that. What new could I bring to the table? So I just wanted to bring to the table um, brands or people that I believe have that mantra and have inspired me. But it's all about empowering you to believe anything is possible for you at any age. So our guests have ranged from like 19 to 80 um and for example one of the guests was trained with joan i don't know if you follow her on instagram but she's this lady that at 70 years old was like overweight diabetes reflux all these things and she started weight training and she's now a fitness influencer she's got like 1.5 million viewers she's wow. she like oh she's amazing and so you know she's transformed alive in her eighth decade it's like unbelievable wow,
1: that's
2: yeah, and I think, I don't know about you, but I think, like, personal development feels like it's only really for the 20 to 40-year-olds. And, like, so what happens to the 60-year-old that decides, you know, you hear a lot of this, don't you? Once the kids leave home, there's a lot of divorce. I bet you must hear that. Yeah, or absolutely. If a spouse dies. So I want to open up the space to those people yeah. that haven't grown up with personal development but maybe their daughter will, will get them into it or something like that. And I want it to be so inclusive. Um, so that's the podcast, and then we're doing a live event on the 25th of March, which I think by the time this goes out, we'll have we'll have done. Um, so hopefully it was fabulous. Um
1: <laughs> but that's <how> it is. <laughs> and you're speaking there, which is amazing. I am, um, I'm very, very excited about that as well. And oh, when you're getting your podcast, done. I think we've got a date in for that now as well. So yeah, looking forward to it. Well, you should say in a minute what you're speaking
2: about, because you know that I've done that exercise anyway, um, of like, design your...
1: Your ideal partner, yeah. So at the, at the expo, uh, the, the the conference that you're putting on in a couple of weeks, well, it's about a month now, isn't it? Coming up in March 2023. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm going to be talking about how to design your ideal partner and and how to safeguard yourself when you are dating after going through any kind of breakup. Um, because I think we have to learn the lessons, don't we? If you don't learn the lessons and bank them, you keep on making them. So it's a chance to sort of get off the treadmill for a bit, rework and rethink quite carefully about what you want and who you are, not just what you want, also what you need from a partner. So we combine all those and we're gonna get, uh, get the audience working on that and designing a partner that they've got a really good chance of being successful with. So they've got more chance of spotting it. A bit like you were saying about writing things down, Um, and putting it on paper and actually thinking about it carefully because that's the best chance to manifest what you want.
2: Well we were chatting weren't we and the really weird thing is so as you know I write everything down and I actually started journaling when I first became single because I felt like I could really be open and honest with my thoughts and um, so I've done Tony Robbins and done a similar thing where you write down like your ideal relationship and it's like it's your ideal relationship rather than person isn't it so it's like what we would do together, where we would go, how I would spend my time, how he would spend his time, etc., And wrote this all down with my friends am come and then when I met Joel my boyfriend like I mean he is totally accepting of all my weirdness and you know like I've documented our whole getting together yeah. in my diary which he like I've read to him and it reads like some really crap novel um, and <laughs> <laughs> but like I'd literally written down so when I was prepping for anything is possible conference I like trawled over all my journals and notes to write all my content and I was like oh my god read this And it's two pages of, like, ideal relationship. And I'm not even joking. It describes our relationship literally. Like, it's so weird. And I'd read that, like, five years ago, put it away. Um, But obviously in my head, I was looking for a personality rather than a, you know, uh, uh, you know whatever you would describe you know we would normally go don't wait I mean I'm quite lucky I did get six foot dark hair and all that, but <laughs> actually it's all the relationship and the and and you know and and how we are day-to-day together that that makes you happy
1: yeah exactly it's not just what you're physically attracted to which is really important as well but there's so much more to it and I think quite often we don't think about that we just go for what we what we're instantly attracted to but if you keep attracting the wrong kind of partner, you're making the same mistakes over and over again. I think a lot of us have been there, me included. So, yeah, absolutely. Well, it's been fascinating talking to you. Holly. I mean, I'm super excited to work with you coming up in the future as well. And to see where you go with your journey, because, you know, you're doing amazing things and inspiring so many people. Where can people go to find out more about you? Yeah, so I
2: guess Instagram's like my main platform. So it's I am Hollymore Events is my personal one, but that's totally open. Um, anything is possible, brand is like the inspirational content and podcast and event, and then make events limited. If you are interested in events, is my events company. So that's the three, and probably Instagram's the easiest way to find
1: me. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for being us. So I have one final question for you, which is why no. I ask all my guests. So, my podcast, as you know, is called Heartbreak to Happiness. And I think it's really important to know what happiness is for you. So even when you are having a tough time, you can still experience feeling happy along the way. So, what is happiness for you, Holly? Oh,
2: I think I've realized over the years that and it will sound so cheesy like it comes from within and it comes through being fulfilled so i think to bring it back to you know what you do in your specialism i always believed in soulmates and you know you think that when you meet your soulmate ever the whole world everything else is then perfect so i believe i've met my soulmate but um, I have felt unfulfilled recently because um, different things with work and I was getting some behaviours I didn't like around alcohol and food and stuff like that, just using them for the wrong reasons. And so I think what it made me realise was, yes, I'm with my soulmate and I literally couldn't be happier but it's got the work's got to come from within. So I'm at the moment, you know, I am literally a living, breathing version of what I preach because I'm doing a lot of work around my habits at the moment and also shifting my career slightly in terms of I've run this event agency for 10 years, but I'm feeling really pulled towards this space at the same time. And how does that look like for me when I've put my heart and soul into events for the last 10 years? So I think happiness for me is understanding it is, it, it does come from within and and then that tells me that even if you are single and if you are going to go through a divorce you're going to have a potentially have a period of that like genuinely work on you date yourself you know understand what makes you happy like I do a silly thing like I've got a list of 100 things that I can go to at any one time to make me happy and one of them's like a latte in Starbucks you know like so it is that and I think when that is right everyone says it but that is genuinely when you probably meet the right person when you you're aware of you yourself so I think it's knowing yourself and being able to be comfortable with yourself
1: yeah and I'm not there yet
2: by the way but
1: (laughs) wise words but what I love about you is that you walk your talk and you are very honest and very brave and you are not afraid to face any challenges head on which I think is the only way to get through things if you stuff them down you run away from them then they tend to follow you around but you have searched out the answers and and made so many breakthroughs and and shifted up so many gears that you really are inspiring Holly so thank you for your time today and thank you so much for being such an inspiring guest oh
2: thank you thank you for having me
1: That's it for today. To find out more about Holly and her work, do head over to anythingispossiblebrand.co.uk and I look forward to you joining me on my next episode.
0: That's it for today's episode of Heartbreak to Happiness. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review to win a free ticket to one of Sarah's virtual retreats.